Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsblog 20 podcast series in which we celebrate 20 years of Arsblog by talking to a guest about a calendar year of the site's existence between 2002 and 2022. This time around, the year is 2009, and my guest is Phil Costa. Hi, Phil. Hey, Andrew. How's it going? It's going all right. It's going all right. How well do you remember 2009? Well, I had to do a little bit of research, actually. Um, I think I was... 12 at the time uh or 13 so yeah, it was a while back old here making me feel very old here yeah i mean you know i just i was just heading into secondary school so i'd probably been there for about a year or a year um going into my second year at secondary school so right yeah i had to i had to think back let's just put it that way okay so in your thinking back um what's the first thing you've come across that you want to discuss well, I mean, there was only one place for me to start, really, and that was with uh, Arsenal's favourite small Russian, uh, Andre Arshavin, right. who, who gave us a very memorable January transfer deadline day. Well, yeah, I mean, deadline day, and then the next day, and maybe the day after, I can't remember. It was a <laughs> it was a genuine saga, wasn't it? Because it stretched out over a, a period of time. I think we had to get special dispensation in the end to get the deal done. There were all kinds of things. I think James did a really good piece on this in The Athletic a while back. The nuts and bolts and everything, all the moving pieces behind this one were, were kind of crazy. Not to mention the fact that this was a January transfer window when pretty much everybody was saying, well, we've got to get a defender or we've got to get a defensive midfielder and we've got to add a bit of steel, a bit of backbone to this this team. And Arsene Wenger, in the way that Arsene Wenger did, went a completely different direction. Defenders, who needs them? Who needs <laughs> them, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I just remember being glued to Sky Sports News. I mean, it's crazy to think about how it's changed, how the whole kind of landscape for transfers has changed. Cause you know, you've got all the aggregators and the different news accounts on Twitter, but yeah. back then it was literally just kind of one, you know, one source and that was it. It was Sky Sports and then it was Arsenal.com. So mm. um, I just remember, yeah, it was, you know, really exciting for me because I, I remember obviously Euro 2008 was the, the summer before that transfer window. And I, I didn't really know anything about him because you know, my football knowledge was not like it was now. I didn't really work in the field or, you know, you're, you're kind of limited to all of English football plus maybe Real Madrid and Barcelona. But I just remember watching him at Euro 2008 and thinking, like, who the hell is this guy? You know, he's <laughs> he's absolutely tiny. You know, he's kind of funny, you know, with his facial expressions, but he just had such incredible technical quality and he was just fun. Um 
And, you know, he, he put in some incredible performances in that European championship. And I was, you know, as soon as I sort of heard that Arsenal were, were looking at him or, or trying to sign him, I was just super excited. I mean, I've got it written down here that he was kind of the Ozil before the Ozil. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I just remember being glued to the TV thinking, will it happen? Won't it happen? And, and thankfully for us, it did. Yeah, there was the interview, wasn't there, that where he, it was eventually done and he said, I am Gunnar. And, uh, you know, yeah. we, we were we weren't quite sure what exactly we were going to get. But I think your point about him being a fun footballer is a really interesting one because as the game becomes increasingly demanding in terms of the physical aspect of it, the mental aspect of it, the professionalism that players have to show, the, de- the dedication that that's expected from them. You know, and, and this is not just about Arsenal, but I think across professional football, when you get to the really, really top level, there are there are demands on players which I think increasingly mean you you see fewer characters. Um, but he was a real character. I don't think he necessarily. I mean, I can probably quite categorically say that that he didn't look after himself as well as other players might have, right? <laughs> there were certain physical aspects to him. Like I remember one game where it was the end of it and he pulled up his shirt at the end of it as they do. You know, he either took his shirt off or he pulled it up and it was like, holy shit, that's like me at the end of five-a-side game. You know, I'm not yeah. good. And I'm not, you know, not saying I'm giant haystacks, but I'm not a finely tuned athlete with the, the whole 0% body fat, like lots, uh, lots of them. But there was that element to him, which was like, I know what I can do with the ball. Give me the ball and I'll do some stuff with it and it'll be great. And other days, you know, the game will pass me by. But um, it's an interesting thing to think about now as we move into this hyper-professional era and certainly under Mikel Arteta, the, the demands that, are, that he would place on a player maybe seem at odds with the kind of character and, and player that Arshavin was. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's what you said. He was just a, a quirky kind of guy. I mean, there was that, also that clip of him. At, I think he was coming off the bench against Stoke and he was still wearing his hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Arsene Wenger had to quickly jump up from the bench and just <laughs> nip, nip it off him. And, you know, I mean, we, we know he, he used to like a McDonald's as well. And, you know... Mm. I, but it just t- took me back to Arsenal being a really fun team. I mean, obviously, you know, they used to frustrate us in equal measure. I mean, there were defensive mm. calamities and, you know, the, you know, they'll frustrate us on a weekly basis. But, you know, looking back now, I just think, you know, we had people like Cesc Fabregas, uh, Thomas Rosicki, um, mm. Samir Nasri was also at the club. I think he just joined and it was just like, man, we had such a fun like stacked attacking side and it was like wow you know because especially after the the kind of sufferings that we've had to deal with over the last I don't know 18 months I know it's improved now but you know we we were just so lucky to kind of have those guys all there together and yeah yeah I mean you know it's crazy to think that he was our then record signing um I think I think at 16 million um I think he just overtook Jose Antonio Reyes so you know, how times have changed. But yeah, just seeing him come out the doors at a snowy Emirates stadium and give a little soundbite in broken English, you know, I was hooked. I was hooked already. And he's just one of those players that, that gets you into the stadium, basically. And, you know, having having watched him um, 
play incredibly well at Euro 2008. I was just desperate to see his little shush celebration at the Emirates. And <laughs> thankfully, uh, thankfully, I did see it not too long after he signed. Yeah, I mean, the shush celebration in particular was evident at Anfield, wasn't it? That incredible game uh, where where he scored four goals uh, and amazingly still didn't end up on, on the winning side. I mean, imagine doing that. Imagine scoring four goals at Anfield and not winning the game. Um, it must be... A real kick in the fucking <laughs> kick in the teeth for a player for a team, you know. Particularly, I think that Liverpool uh, last Liverpool equaliser was really, really late. But the quality of the goals that he scored, and look, we we had a bit of a laugh about his um, his physical condition, which I think was an issue over time, certainly. But that fourth goal, when they had a corner and Theo Walcott broke, and all of a sudden the guy keeping pace with him, running from deep, sprinting to fire home that fourth goal was our Shavin. And, you know, as we know, Theo Walcott was no slouch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, he was just kind of jinky and janky. Like he could go left and right really quickly. I really loved how he could use both feet. He was kind of Cazorla-esque in that kind of way. Um, as, you know, as exemplified by that fourth goal, mm. uh, you know, the finish straight past Pepe Reina. Um, and, I, what I also really liked about him was the the no backlift. You know, he yeah. could just fire off these missiles from, you know, he just seemed to take no time to wind up at all. And then all of a sudden they'd be straight into the top corner. So, you know, I just really loved his kind of way of playing. And, you know, obviously he had the kind of nice technical qualities, but he also had some brute and some power, which mm. you wouldn't normally associate with a player of that size. And, you know, I remember being at the stadium when he when he scored, I think it was his first goal against Blackburn when he was kind of on the left touch line. He took it to the byline. He just completely sold the defender with this dummy um, and then like curled it into the roof of the net. And, and it was right by the corner where I sit, where, where my family has season tickets. And, you know, I was... It was just one of those goals that you leave the stadium and you're like, wow, I was really lucky to be there to see that because... You know, it was just a moment of such individual class and quality. And, you're, and you know, that's why you go and watch football. That's yeah. why you're in the stadium. And, you know, um, obviously it didn't quite work out as we would have hoped with, with our Shavin. But I think for maybe a year, 18 months after he joined, he was just so good. Um, and, yeah, he'll always, you know, hold a place in my heart for, for that time he spent at the club. All right, yeah. Uh, I've got fond memories of him, and not least because he was a character on the Arscast for so many years. I think there was a lot <laughs> to like about, you know, when he was good, he was really, really good. He was, he was, you know, a bit infuriating when he wasn't. And that lack of physical stuff was, was a bit of an issue at times. But, yeah, I think uh, when you think back to him, you know, even some of the pictures, wasn't there a picture where he's like, with a bouet and they're dressed in 70s gear and there's another one where he's like to to advertise the sleep on the pitch for the junior yes. gunners he's like yeah, yeah, yeah. in a scout uniform in a tent and he looks about 12 <laughs> years of age you know <laughs> <laughs> pretty amazing really all right where are we going next well i've kind of kept it in chronological order here um and then i've gone for the eduardo goal against burnley um I actually forgot about this one. And then I, d I d just quickly before coming onto the podcast, I thought about it and I was like, was that 2009? Um, and lo and behold, it was. And I just, yeah, I mean, what a, what an incredible goal. Um, you know, I mean, obviously we'll talk about it a bit more, but I just have such sort of hard feelings about how his whole time with Arsenal went. 
um, and it's pretty difficult to escape the mm. talking about the moment that it all seemed to unravel. But in, in terms of the goal itself, I mean, in terms of pure technique, I mean, this is genuinely probably one of the top three moments that the Emirates have seen in terms of isolated moments of technique. I think for me anyway, I don't know if, you know, others others might have uh, different ideas, but I, I just thought, wow, what an incredible, incredible goal. I suppose we should explain the goal to, to put that in context um, mm -hmm. because it's not the kind of goal you see very often. It's, I suppose, in some way up there with... Like the Wilshire goal against Norwich was very much a team goal, right? But you 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 don't really see that goal very often, even though Arsenal scored quite a similar one. I think Thomas Rosicki scored quite a similar yeah. one. But that kind of one-touch perfection, normally one of those little flicks doesn't come off and the move breaks down and everyone, you know, carries on. It didn't with the Wilshire one. Um, this was a little chip ball from Alex Song to Eduardo, who... Did he take a touch and volleyed or did he volley it straight? With? No, no, straight, straight volleyed. Yeah, it was a classic, you know, Alex Song little dink over the top. And, you know, he'd peeled off the the last man and you just think, okay, he's going to bring it down and put it into the corner. But the, the, the technique was, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like off the, the kind of the heel, the outside of his heel, and it just flew into the top corner and... You, you, it's kind of like the Aaron Ramsey goal against Galatasaray when you're watching it and you think, how, how did that even happen? Like, yeah. where's the the power coming from? The, you know, the whole mechanism is wrong. You shouldn't be able to, to get a strike like that off into the corner with so much power and accuracy, but he's done it. And it was just, you know, it's just like, yeah. it's the classic moment at the Emirates when you can hear the crowd going, wow, like when they hear that, when they mm. see the replay on the screen, you know, and it was just, you know, after such a, a horrible year for him, um, you know, it was almost a year exactly to the date after he broke his leg um, or, or had his leg broken, shall I say. Um, you know, it just to to be captaining the side, to score a goal like that, it must have been a huge kind of weight off his shoulders and, and off his mind. Yeah, amazing. Um, we'll put a link to this goal in the, in, the, in the show notes for this particular episode. You can have a look at it. But it reminds me, I've just watched it again. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, of a tennis shot, almost like a backhand tennis shot where they take some of the pace off it, but they, the trajectory of the ball goes, oh, it's just unbelievable. Like a slicer yeah. with the outside of his left foot as he's moving the other way. Uh, an amazing goal, an amazing goal. And, and yeah, we talked about the injury on a previous episode, but it's hard not to think about what, could have been for Eduardo at at uh, at Arsenal because you know when he signed nobody had any idea who he was he came in took a little while to get going and all of a sudden he was working well with Bentner and he was working well with Adi Bayor and then he got those injuries and it all it all fell apart a bit and I think while we're talking about him we should talk about something else that happened in 2009 with Eduardo uh in the second um half of the year in the 2009-2010 season, he won a penalty against Celtic, if you remember. And there was... I was at the game. I was at was the game. Unbelievable yeah. uproar. And it, it's yeah. put me in mind of the of the Arsenal celebrating against Wolves, of Arsenal postponing games, how other teams and other players do things. But when it's Arsenal, the reaction is somehow bigger and greater. And it might be that we're more aware of it. We're living in it. But... I don't ever remember a player 
banned for two games by UEFA for diving. And it was one of those where he went down maybe a little bit easily. But I think you can accept when a guy's had his leg and ankle snapped in two by a brutal challenge, you know, he might be a little bit circumspect. He might want to get off his feet to ensure that that an injury like that doesn't happen. And there was a media witch hunt and Eduardo was called a diver. And UEFA, they literally banned him for two games before Arsenal appealed and it was overturned. Like, I've never seen that happen before or since. No, no, no. I, I mean, it was, um, you know, we just have to go back a few years for the previous example, which was Robert Pires, you know, yeah. nobody else has ever dived in English football apart from Robert <laughs> Pires, apparently. So it's just, I mean, he was a striker trying to win a penalty. He's going away from goal. You leave a leg, the goalie hits you, you go down. Yeah. Um, and we see this every week in the Premier League, you know, and in every league know, in Europe. Exactly. Yeah. And people like Steven Gerrard, Wayne Rooney, they used to make a, you know, a living out of doing this, but obviously <laughs> the Arsenal microscope, I don't know what it is. We're like a magnet to this stuff. I'm, I'm, I don't even know why, but yeah, I was actually at the game and we didn't realize what had really happened because, you know, back then we couldn't go on Twitter and look what everybody was saying. Yeah. And it was only until we got back into the car and was like listening to all the reaction on on like Five Live or, you know, one of the radio shows afterwards. And it was like, what the hell was happening here? You know, it was, you know, people calling in, frothing at the mouth, talking about how they've cheated Celtic out of a chance to be in Champions League and... Oh. Yeah, crazy, crazy. Um, I think it was because yeah. it was uh, against the British team. I genuinely yeah, think that played a part. Yeah, like, I think if you know, if Eduardo had dived against a Turkish team or a Spanish team, I, I don't think there would have been anywhere close to the hysteria. And I think, look, certainly the fact that Celtic um, is in Scotland and it's the, the media landscape is not dissimilar, and you're getting stuff on the the phone ins, Five Live, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are a lot of Celtic fans living in England and who are at that game. So I think. That that drove some of it. Nevertheless, it was so, so over the top. Um, but there you go. That's just the life and times of an Arsenal fan, I think. Indeed. You know, we're used to it by now. Yeah, so. We sure are. <laughs> we yeah. sure are. Okay, what's next? Oh, unfortunately, Andrew, the next one's uh, still a still a soft one for me. Um, and it's the, the Champions League semi-final defeat to Manchester United in the Champions League. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember uh, the build-up to this game? Honestly, I just remember us being battered in the first game. Um, or were we battered? Maybe not battered, but, you know, they were much better than us on the day, I think. And there was a real sense of kind of, wow, we're still in this. Um, yeah, it was only 1-0 in the first leg. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was just one of those classic Champions League nights in the summer. You know, it's... It's still not dark yet, you know, and the, the crowd are there after work. People have had a drink and there's like, you know, it's the perfect atmosphere to, you know, we're a goal down. Let's go in and get a goal and, and see what we can do. And then oh. after 11 minutes, it was <laughs> the dream had died. Oh. The dream had died. I know. I remember, I remember well just what the buildup was like to that. And, I, you know, I completely understand it because it was just 1-0. and We'd lost away from home 1-0. So we're at home. And you're building, and this is a Champions League semi-final in 2009. We've been to the final in 2006, and you're thinking, well, this is a, a strong United team, of course. We, we know it was a strong United team and the players that they had, the quality that they had. Um, 
and probably the final, given the way it played out, um, <laughs> would have been a, a, a game too far for us anyway. Yeah, but I think so. <laughs> but yeah. I remember the club had, uh, did they give everyone flags or there was, you know, they did a lot um, at a time where they, you know, this kind of thing wasn't necessarily commonplace. Maybe it's because we weren't playing games that demanded that kind of build-up. But I remember the anticipation and the the hope and the optimism. And like you say, it was a beautiful sunny evening. And within six, seven minutes, Kieran Gibbs slipped. And I think it was Park yeah, scored. seven minutes. Yeah, he slipped. And yeah. then there was the Ronaldo free kick, which I – look, I, I, I'm very happy that Manuel Almuni is having a nice life out in Dubai. And, <laughs> you know, he's recovered from his – heart problem and all of that kind of stuff. But holy shit, in a European semi-final to let in a free kick from 40 yards when it was it was well hit, but like, come on, man, you, you've got to save that. You've got to save that. Yeah, I mean, he was already on the naughty list for 2006 when he let that shot from Balletti squirm through him. And then we see this on home soil and it's yeah. just like, you know, I... I, I when he was, I remember watching it, it was on ITV Sport. I wasn't at the game for this one, but it was on ITV Sport. And then I think it was Clive Tilsley was, you know, he's not going to shoot from here, is he? And you can see <laughs> him do like that stupid routine where he takes the steps back and he does that deep exhalation. And you're like, oh, come mm. on, mate, leave it out. And then you see it arrowing towards goal. And you're like, you know, he struck it well, but come on. You, oh, I don't understand how you've let that squirm into your near post. You know, it's yeah. like... Uh, and it was just such a deflation for everybody. I mean, the players, the fans, you know, Arsene Wenger sunk a little bit in his chair and it was, you know, mm. it wasn't just that we were losing. It was 3-0, two away goals on the night for them. Ugh, and it was just, you know, all this build-up, all this excitement to try and get back into the game and it's done within 11 minutes. So you're just sleepwalking through the rest of the game you know oh terrible 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 oh i know um, i know i know it was it, it it was painful that one in particular it ended up 3-1 to united on the night uh, ronaldo got mm -hmm. another van persie got a sort of consolation penalty yeah. but yeah i mean to be fair their their third goal was was amazing i mean we were pushing players forward but the way they just killed us on the break was you know they had a, a an incredible team then so mm. and we were obviously a young side i mean kieran gibbs slipping is obviously not what you want for a young player who's just beginning to establish himself in the side um but yeah i mean even even the first goal accidents happen right yeah two goals it's not completely uh you know, out, we're not completely out of the game by then, but then just, yeah, the third goal going in in those kind of circumstances, uh, it was just, yeah, so deflating. And one of the, you know, a real, probably after the, obviously the final and after Wainbridge scoring at Highbury, mm. it's probably one of my, my worst Arsenal memories in Europe. Yeah, um, I, I, I couldn't, I can go with that. That's for sure. I mean, yeah. there've been some pretty, pretty bad ones in Europe uh, down the years, it's fair to say. Yeah, but, I mean, you know. They've been more like humiliations, haven't they? So, yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah. to, you know, I really felt that we could get something from that game and then it was just snatched away from me, you know, in 10 minutes. So, yeah. Yeah, but what can you do? I mean, it, it happens, but yeah, that 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 moment of Armunia just letting it go through his gloves will, will haunt me for a long time, I think. 
Yeah, uh, he really did. He really did have his moments, uh, Manuel. But we won't we won't dwell on those. We'll go somewhere else. Yeah, somewhere else happier, or, or not really, maybe. <laughs> uh, this is the the start of the 2009-10 season. Um, and we actually started quite well. We won both of our opening two games. I mean, obviously, that was that big win at Goodison Park. Mm. And then, yes, things unraveled slightly. Um, <laughs> and we are at the Etihad Stadium. Um, and our good friend, Emmanuel Adebayor, has ran all of 80 yards to go and celebrate in front of the Arsenal fans when Man City are about to beat us away from home. Yeah. And I think many people um, would have seen their veins bulging in the side of their foreheads in in those few seconds. <laughs> but- <laughs> yeah, it was it was a mad one because, look, it had been a bit contentious with Adi Bayor. Um, you know, he had a period where he was just, he was unbelievable, really. He was unplayable. Mm-hmm. He was banging them in. He was heading them in. He was sticking them top corner. He was taking them on his chest and whacking them in, you know, 30-odd goals. And and look, that summer, Arsenal sold Adibayor and Colo Toure to Manchester mm-hmm. City for about 40 million or so in total. But, you know, I always felt that, look, I think the Arsenal fans, everyone loves a pantomime villain in football, right? It's part and parcel of it. A guy comes over to celebrate, he used to play for you, you give him the wanker signs or whatever it might be. Um, there's a brilliant picture, actually, of of Adi Bayor kneeling in front of the Arsenal fans, and there's just so many fucking furious guys, and they're climbing over each other to try and get down over the stewards as if, you know, they're going to get on the pitch and whack him. And my friend uh, Tony is there in the picture, and he's just laughing his head off. He's the only guy in that picture actually laughing at Adi Bayor. But, you know, it, it's... I always felt like whatever you think about the fans or the club or, or whatever it was, it was disrespectful to a man in Arsene Wenger who brought him in from Monaco. Am I right? He yeah, came Monaco, from Monaco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and really put him on a stage where, you know, he got that big move to... Um, Man City and he got that crazy salary and then he got his move to Real Madrid or wherever oh god he ended up at Tottenham as well so um, you know it wasn't all the way up it was up and then some way down but you know it, to me it felt like it felt disrespectful to Wenger because Wenger had given him this opportunity and had always you know backed him and everything else so yeah hell of a moment though yeah totally I mean it look we we often forget that that players are human beings as well and they're easily susceptible to the odd moment of emotion and Mm. and everything like that. But this was just kind of way beyond that. I mean, to go all the way to the other end and celebrate, I mean, that's obviously something he'd thought about. Um, And he's not stupid. He would have known what he would have done. Um, But yeah, I just thought the whole moment was just extremely unsavory. And like you said, Arsene Wenger brought him to English football not only gave him the opportunity to play on a bigger stage, but improved him as a footballer, you know, uh, incredibly. I mean, we all kind of saw the potential when he first arrived, but no one, you know, I mean, he was one of the best strikers in Europe by the time he left Arsenal. So, you know, it was just a a really sour moment. And always with Adebayor, you know, there's two sides to every story, but I think, the ease in which Wenger was ready to bin him off says everything. Um, I think there was a lot of 
sort of misleading behavior going on behind the scenes and I'm going to go, I'm going to stay, I want more money, I'm going to go, I'm going to stay. And I just think Wenger had kind of no yeah. time for that. And, you know, it's, it's just a shame because, you know, Arsenal get get made the joke out of this situation, you know, even though Adebayo was punished and everything, you know, it's uh, it's a a sort of a, an example of someone trolling Arsenal again. And then after we've lost key players in the past and it was just that kind of narrative hurt us for a mm. while. And, you know, it was, yeah, an incredible moment, really. Um, I mean, the, the game was a disappointing defeat on the day. I think it was 4-2 we lost. Yeah. Um, and I just remember watching it with my dad on a really terrible stream. <laughs> the early um, days of I, streaming. Yeah. yeah, the early days <laughs> of streaming. And I think... Um, by the time he scored, my dad just switched off and was like, right, we're going shopping. You know, that was it. He'd seen enough. So, um, But yeah, I mean, it was one of those kind of crazy moments that nobody forgets. But obviously, when you're on the receiving end of yeah. it, you'd rather not uh, remember it again. But yeah, I just, you could see the adrenaline pumping through him. Yeah. Um, he did. And I he, think the, yeah, go on. Sorry to to, to No, no, no. I think a- the knee slide would have taken him into the, into the stands if he didn't stop before then. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, just... Just a shame how it all ended, but um, what a moment, like yeah. you said. And he did, he, he did a, um, a stamp on Van Persie as well in the game, Indeed. which could yes, well have been did. sent off. I would say, like, nowadays you'd be sent off for that, but of course we know that that's not the case if you stamp on the face of an Arsenal player, um, as this season <laughs> has shown us, you know? Um, and, I, yeah, I think we've forgotten kind of in the midst of time just how annoying that summer was and all the talk about where he was going to go and his agent this and his agent that, and it was all playing out in the media, and, you know, he was public enemy number one for for a little while. Just before we move on to the final thing, I found this, which I thought was quite funny. It goes back, it's related to strikers, uh, but it goes back to the uh, Champions League semi-final defeat. This is an article, I'm going to read it word for word. This is an article that was on the official Arsenal website. Okay, go on. Nicholas Bentner has been fined by the club for his behaviour after Tuesday night's Champions League semi-final defeat against Manchester United. The Danish striker, who came on after 63 minutes of the 3-1 reverse, was photographed leaving a nightclub in the early hours of Wednesday morning with his jeans pulled down. (laughs) At Friday's pre-match press conference, when asked if he was disappointed by Bentner's actions, Arsene Wenger's response was firm. Yes, the manager said. It was not acceptable, and he has been fined by the club. Oh, Nicholas. What a boy. Oh, what Nicholas. I know, yeah. I, um, I mean, that's a whole other podcast in itself. So maybe I'll save that one for, for <laughs> yeah, you to we'll dive into another way. day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've got one more moment from this year to get into. So uh, let's have it. Yeah, go on. We'll finish on a good note. Yeah. We'll finish on a nice one. The big North London derby win over Spurs with the uh, with the classic Fabregas goal that nobody saw on TV. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a day that was. And I think it pretty much um, confirmed my love for Sesk in, in every way imaginable. Like I didn't love him already enough before. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it was incredible. I, you you will have to describe it from a TV perspective because I, I was in the ground. I was, I was there. I was watching that game and Van Persie had scored and um, we were still celebrating when they kicked off and, and all of a sudden Fabregas was running through on goal and took a touch, took a touch around somebody else. And 
and just slotted the ball into the bottom corner. And it was like, it was mayhem. Mayhem. Uh, limbs, as they might say these days. But it genuinely <laughs> was. People were going absolutely crazy. They were going, falling over three, four rows to hug people and all of that kind of stuff. It was absolute pandemonium. pandemonium pandemonium i know how to say it in the stadium um but but that moment it must have been slightly surreal on tv where you're going hey hang on a minute what 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 exactly i mean that's exactly what it was because van persie had just scored you know that really nice goal at the front post um you know kind of stabbed it home i think it was sanya crossing the ball in yeah um, and, you know, they're doing the usual stuff on Sky, the replays, Andy Gray's talking about it. Um, and then all of a sudden you just hear the crowd like, wah, wah. And then it was like, and they're through again, it's Fabregas. And then you just see him shoot into the bottom corner. They just got there in time for the shot. Yeah. And it was like, they've scored again. And then he just runs straight into the Arsenal fans. And it was like, what the hell's happened here? Like, <laughs> I've just finished celebrating the first one. And, and Fabregas is already, you know, diving into the Arsenal fans into the corner. Um, and, it, you know, you could, it was one of those goals where you can really hear and feel the emotion on TV. Mm. Um you know, there's just a little something extra. I mean, always with a, a North London derby, there's added kind of bite in the stands, but sure. you could feel the noise and you could hear the noise and wow, just a really incredible moment. And actually what I always loved about Fabregas, you know, yeah, I know he's a, a soft spot for a lot of people, uh, but I really loved how we used to celebrate his goals because um, you could really, especially in the big games, you could really feel like they meant something to him. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, he just had his eyes closed, arms out, you know, and running straight into the Arsenal fans. And it was just, what an incredible moment, you know, to, to, to score a goal like that in a, in a North London derby. I mean, that is the dream of millions of people when he's just done it there, um, you know, going past those two Humpty Dumpties in the Spurs midfield who just clearly didn't wake up yet after the, the whistle. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just a, a super incredible moment. And I think it's, you know, I've got here written down, it was probably God balancing things out because I was there at Highbury when Reyes scored that goal against Middlesbrough, which was also missed on TV. Yeah. Um, so I think that was just, yeah, him balancing out the score a bit there. So, you know, I'll take it. It's not something I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give him give him stick for. But yeah, no. just, just the noise and everything about that goal and the occasion. I mean, we won comfortably in the end. So... Um, yeah, just a, an, a lovely moment for all Arsenal fans and for Cesc Fabregas. Yeah, there. and just to remind ourselves, the two Humpty Dumpties in the Spurs midfield that day were Tom Huddlestone and Jermaine Genus. So if that makes it sweeter <laughs> for everybody, uh, then have at it. Yeah, I mean, an amazing, an amazing goal. Um, and, and yeah, truly just one of those moments that you never forget. You know, the, the, a lot happens in football. You've 38 league games a season, cup games, European games. There's a lot goes on um, in all of those games, even some of the most boring ones. But there are certain memories that, that just become etched into your consciousness when you think about the club, players, big moments, big games. And, and that was certainly one of them for me. And I'm Definitely. sure it is for, for you and a lot of people listening. Yeah. And I mean, it's what you said as well. There was like, it's those moments where you just find the closest person and you hug them. You know, it could yeah. be, you know, someone you've never met before in your life and you just, all of a sudden you're embracing them like you've known them for 25 years. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it's so, 
lovely to get lost in in those kind of moments over a shared connection you know with people and i think that was lost a lot during the pandemic so i'm really glad to be able to to hopefully experience that again i haven't been to arsenal since the the pandemic actually so yeah that's the the moment i'm looking forward to next just yeah. going there and hugging whoever's standing next to me God love them. Let's hope it's a, it's a, a hug of pure joy and celebration as we win a game late on. Maybe a North London derby, something like that. Oh, that would be don't nice. Don't tempt me. Don't yeah. tempt me, Andrew. <laughs> All right. Well, look, on that particularly high and enjoyable note, we'll leave it there. Phil, that was 2009, and thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks so much for having me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Phil is on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa at underscore Phil Costa. Thank you very much indeed to him for looking back at 2009. This is the eighth episode in a row that I've recorded these outros for, and I'm finding it more and more difficult to think of something new to say. I shudder to think what it's going to be like by the time I get to 2022. But hey, we've got a way to go yet. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.